Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Ruth Browning. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Thank you for this word, Lord God. Put your anointing on it, I pray in Jesus' name. So we are looking at the road to freedom, and today we are looking at the final week of Christ. So let me ask you a question. What would you do if you knew you had one week to live on earth? One week left. (laughs) What would you do? Think about it. I read about a man recently who was told, I think he had a few months and he was in hospital and he just thought, blow this, I just feel terrible in hospital. So he put himself out of hospital, bought a boat and he's been sailing up the Sundays and feels better. So who knows? But what would you do? Jesus knew that he had one week to live. He knew. He knew that he had one week for that, what, that final favourite meal, maybe a final sunset. Do you want to, I think for a lot of us, we'd make sure that we only had one week. Are we sure that there's nothing more you can do, doctors? Do you know what I mean? Are we sure that we can't make it longer? But Jesus accepted that he was going to die. He didn't have to. He could have lived longer on earth. Of course he could have. He was Jesus. But he could have decided, no, I really want to try out this marriage thing and I want to try having children. (laughs) Imagine Jesus having children. They'd be like one quarter God, <laughs> that would have been a bit, bit messy, I think. So, um, so we're going to look at this final week and I'm just going to follow the week through and then just highlight a few points from the week. And um, sort of a memoir, I guess. This is his memoir. He didn't write his memoirs, but other people did. And let's just remember as we look at this final week how wonderful Jesus was right to the very end. Every minute, every minute of every day was so precious and so wonderful. And the other thing that was fascinating is I thought, oh, I'm just going to look at Jesus last week. I had no idea what I'd taken on because it fills an enormous amount of space in the Bible. I did not realise this. The final week of Christ in Matthew starts at Matthew 21. There's 28 chapters in Matthew, so that's one quarter of the book of Matthew is his final week. It starts in Mark 11. Of 16 chapters, again, a quarter of the book of Mark is his final week. Luke 19, 24 chapters, again, nearly one quarter. John, the final week in in the book of John, the Gospel of John starts in chapter 12. There's 21 chapters, so almost half the book of John is the final week. I had no idea. I had no idea. You just sort of read and think, oh, yeah, he taught about this, he taught about that. A lot of that teaching, a lot of what we read and think, oh, yeah, that was just when Jesus said this, was his final week. In other words, he packed a lot into his final week. He really made it count, and it's very important for us. So it also made it extremely difficult to preach about because <laughs> I was like, wow, I just thought, you know, one, I just thought it was the last couple of chapters at the end, and now I've got plenty to cover. So. Uh, difficult to cover it all. I'm just going to have to highlight a few bits. And also, a little difficult, I did a lot of research. It's very difficult to say exactly what day he did what. The reason being because 
they measured days differently. Jews measured the start of a Jewish day is sunset on the day before. But the start of the Roman day is the morning, which is when we tend to start our days. So they think of, when they think of Friday, it starts on Thursday night. So sometimes if they say that day, it's like, do you mean Thursday evening or Friday? So you understand. So there are some discrepancies there. It's a little hard to follow. But let's work through. First of all, on Sunday, so Jesus is coming up toward Jerusalem. And then on Sunday, we have the triumphant entry. So that's actually today. That's the Sunday before Good Friday. What happened on that day was Jesus decided to enter into Jerusalem and he entered on a donkey. So let's look at that in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, verse 28, we see him coming in and this is what he said. When he said this, he he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He went, he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany. And then in towards verse 30, he sent two of his disciples saying, going into the village where, and as you enter, you'll find a colt, which is a male donkey, baby donkey, kind of, well, not a baby, but you know, a young man. Ish. I'm sorry, you can tell I'm not a horse person, can't you? <laughs> a baby donkey. I mean, you know, a young man donkey. Okay, whatever. Uh, you'll find a colt. I need Justin to help me on this. He grew up with horses. A colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why are you loosing it, then say to them, because the Lord needs it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. They brought him to Jesus. They threw their clothes on the colt and they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. So few little things here. First of all, Jesus had a word of knowledge about the donkey. Like, I don't, just love that Jesus just knows that there's, there's a donkey there. I don't think anyone told him. It's just a sort of a, it's just one of those random stories. It's like, how did he know? Jesus just knows. And God tells us things we need to know. So he had a word of knowledge, knowing about the donkey. And then he just, it doesn't sound like he prepared these people. They just got told, the Lord needs it. And again, I love that concept that everything we have is the Lord's. And if the Lord needs it, we let the Lord use it. You know what I'm saying? And the Lord borrowed a lot of things. He borrowed a boat. He ate Passover in a borrowed room. He was buried in a borrowed grave. This was a borrowed donkey. The Lord, he didn't have a lot of stuff, but he was happy to ask. So I think there's a lesson there about us just sharing and being happy to to share our lives. And I love that verse, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. So you give it to the Lord. No questions. It's like, why? they didn't say, why does he need it? What for? Well, I don't know. Are you going to bring it back? Like what? You know, donkeys were expensive for them you know that was their mode of transport and actually in another version we see that there were actually two donkeys that they took this one doesn't clarify that but there were two because the colt had never been ridden so they took the mum donkey as well I don't know what mother donkeys are called so the mother donkey went probably to keep the colt in order because the colt had never been ridden so what does the Lord need guys think about that does he need a room in your house for someone to stay Is that annoying? You don't want to give them a room in your house? Does he need your talent? Does he need you to drive? Does he need your car? Does he need you to drive someone to the airport? Always a long way from the central coast. Your time. 
What does the Lord need? Do you ever look at someone up here? You know, do you ever think oh, there's, there's people not in the band? We don't have a guitarist. We don't have that. I can do that, but I won't because I don't have the time. It's like, well, if the Lord needs it, the Lord gets it because he's the Lord. That's He's Jesus and he, everything on the earth belongs to him. And I love that he was just like, no, if I need it, it's good to give it to me. And he wasn't, he, he kind of, there was a boldness in asking and we should have that sweetness in accepting. If God wants to use anything of ours, it's like, sure, it's all yours, Jesus. You gave it to me. It's all yours. Everything I have is yours. So then he entered into Jerusalem on this donkey, which again, just, <laughs> it was so beautiful. So this entry into Jerusalem was prophesied in Zechariah 9.9. Let's look at that. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I like that he is explaining it, so we just know where we're at. <laughs> The foal of a donkey. So that was 500 years before it happened. Zechariah prophesied, your king is coming. And so he did. It was such a, a dramatic way to proclaim his messiahship. It was so dramatic to come in and receive all this praise. All the people were praising him like, you're, you're the God, you're God. And, and you would think that he would come in on a, a horse and chariot or some amazing way because this was his moment to be, to be recognised as Messiah. He needed to fulfil this prophecy because he was the king and this was the time to be openly acknowledged by the crowds, by the world, if you like. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord. We should praise him as such. And so the people did. And the Pharisees are trying to, you know, they're trying to stop it. They said, you can't, this is a time of praise. You can't stop it. The stones would cry out and praise me, which is fascinating. There's a time for us to praise and there's a time for Jesus to be acknowledged. And yet even in this, he comes in a lowly and meek manner. He comes with such sweetness, no, you know, no fancy limousine, no green room, no first class tickets. He just meekly comes to suffer and to offer salvation and to put up with us, our rudeness, our ignorance, our ignoring him, our whatever we do, and comes in this lowly, meek way to just to offer himself as the king, but yet so lowly and so beautiful. So the crowds gather and praise him. He was honoured by them. And again, they also cried out from Psalm 118, Say, it was Hosanna, they said, which means save now. Send prosperity. From Psalm 118, 26, it says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So that's exactly what was happening. They were crying out, yes, you're the one, you're the Messiah, you're Jesus, I love what you're doing, you're awesome. And, you know, here he was coming to conquer, they hoped, the nation. They hoped, they were thinking, this is what you're going to do for me, Jesus. You're going to get rid of the Romans, you're going to conquer the nation. That's why they were praising him. This could be our man. But he came to conquer hearts, not nations. He came to bring peace with God, not peace between warring nations. He came to bring peace between us and God. Praise the Lord. I just want to share a little rev that a friend of mine had too about this situation. 
with the donkey. <laughs> she was once offered a position and asked to do something for God. And you know sometimes when you're asked to do something for God, we all have different reactions, but sometimes we feel inadequate or I, I, can't, I, don't, I don't want to do that. Some, sometimes someone asks you to speak or give a testimony. I, I don't want to do that. I, I'm not good enough. Or asks you to play an instrument or, or sing or do anything, you know, and you feel like I can't do it. And she said one time, she, she was asked to do this job and she felt very inadequate and the Lord said to her this, he said, just be the donkey. Just be the donkey, which I think is so lovely. He said, you don't have to do it. We don't have to do anything special. Just carry the presence of Jesus. We just have to do what donkeys do, be, be myself, but just have Jesus with us when we do it. Carry Jesus. It's a nice concept, isn't it? And also be aware when Jesus gets off. <laughs> so if Jesus, you know, is no longer wanting us to do something, well, then we'll stop doing it. So that's just a, a sweet little revelation she had, and it's a good one for all of us, that we're not necessarily special on our own. I mean, we are because we're created by God. But apart from Jesus, the Bible says we can do nothing. So let's make sure that we're like that donkey, always carrying Jesus. So that's day one. This amazing day of praise and celebration with the crowds. And then at night, he went back and he spent the night in Bethany with his friends, probably with Lazarus and Mary and Martha or Simon, another friend of his. So on Monday morning, he leaves Bethany and goes past the fig tree, curses the fig tree. <clears throat> and th at this time, he weeps over Jerusalem. He, he's walking towards Jerusalem and he starts to weep. He just weeps. And he says this in Luke 19, 41 to 44. As he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, if you only knew what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, encircle you and hem you in. <coughs> Hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's visitation. You didn't know that God was visiting you. Jesus was with you. Jesus was with you and you didn't know. And so these terrible things are going to happen terrible things. And they did happen. 70 years after Jesus died, the Romans had had enough of the, the Jewish nation being a little difficult. And so they sent in um, troops to totally, totally destroy the city of Jerusalem. And they did. They completely destroyed the temple. And they literally had not one stone. They pulled everything. And they were big stones, you know. They made a point of pulling every single stone down. And Josephus, the famous Jewish uh, historian, says that um, over a million Jews perished in these wars and 97,000 were taken into captivity. And this was the beginning of the great Jewish dispersion. The Jews, they lost, they, they lost their nation again. They'd already been taken to Babylon, but they'd come back. But this time they lost it. And ever since Jerusalem was then, after being trodden down by the Romans, they had the Saracens, the Franks, the Turks, the Ottoman Empire, you name it. 
every other empire took over Israel and the, the Jews were gone. And Jesus knew this was going to happen. And he was sad. He wept. He wept. This was Jerusalem. This was David's city. And they didn't know. And I just think, let us not be unaware when God is visiting us. Let us not be unaware if God is speaking to us. And because sometimes God's visitation, it's maybe not Jesus, but it's Jesus' representative, you know, the donkey, has come and someone's saying something to you like, nah. But you know what? That person might not say that to you again. There's a time when God visits us and we need to know about it and we need to recognise it because if we don't have Jesus and we're not listening to what he's saying in our life, we open ourselves up to the destruction of this world and the mess that it makes in our families, in our marriages, in our lives. Believe me, I've been around on earth long enough now to see my friends and people that I love who didn't listen when Jesus visited them and Jesus was with them or, and they were with a great Jesus situation and they walk away from that and then you start to see the mess, the destruction that comes. And Jesus weeps about that. That is not his desire for us. It wasn't his desire for Jerusalem. It's not what he wants, but he can only offer can only offer we get to say no to Jesus how dumb is that but he allows us to he it's called free will <laughs> don't say no when he visits you you know I was reading about one of these visitations of a doctor um, and he was working on a patient with another doctor, several other nurses. And this patient had come in. This is a Christian doctor. And the patient began to manifest a demon. <laughs> and so, you know, I won't go into the details, because, but that happens sometimes. There are devils around. And the other doctors and nurses didn't know what was going on. They, didn't, they thought it was, whoa, 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 what's happening here? What's, what's going on? But the doctor leaned over the person and bound the devil and commanded it to leave. It did, because it has to obey Jesus. And it says the other people, doctors and nurses in the room, were stunned. Stunned, but also happy to see what happened at the name of Jesus. So that's a visitation in a hospital. It's interesting, actually, how often, if you talk to doctors and nurses, there's a visitation, you know, the, the time of visitation. God has come. Something wonderful has happened. So do those doctors and nurses, what do they do? You know, what do they do? Do they go away and go, oh, that was, okay, that was out there. I don't really understand that. Or, oh, it was probably some psychological thing. Know the visitation when it comes. He says, remember Jesus said, you did not recognise the time of God's visitation. We must recognise when God is giving us a visit, an opportunity, a word. Grab a hold of it. Jerusalem did not. So after weeping over the temple, he comes in and he cleanses the temple. That was when he came in probably the second time and he just got angry because they were just, again, they, they, didn't, they weren't listening to Jesus. They were just selling things, making money, doing all that, you know, that stuff. And he hated that. My house is a house of prayer. Um, so that was, I thought, an interesting thing to do in your final week because... You would think you'd sort of avoid conflicts like, I, I don't want to have to deal with those people. You know, I've had enough of that. <laughs> my last week, I just want to hang with my mates, maybe hang out with mum, my brothers and sisters. You know, I mean, if I had one more week to live, I definitely wouldn't be going and confronting anyone. I'd just be, you know, just 
people will love me. Be nice to me. But Jesus was very loving to do that. It was like one more chance to say, you guys, this is wrong. He didn't have to do that. That was an act of love and a very bold act of love at that. He, um, he also healed the sick, as usual, Matthew 21, 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. I love it. Jesus is always healing. He's like, he's got one more way. I've got like, I've got five days to go, guys. I've healed a lot of you. Can we just let it go? It's like, all right, all right, I'll heal you. Just always healing, always loving. And at the end of Monday night, goes back again, spends the night in Bethany. In, uh, on Tuesday morning, wakes up, leaves Bethany again, and they all see the fig tree. Remember he cursed it the day before? Well, it's withered. And that's when he has his famous faith statement, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast the sea, shall not down his heart, believe those things which he says, which have whatever he says. Thank you, Kenneth Hagin. He taught me to say that in the old King James Version. <laughs> so that's a great scripture. I won't go into that, but it's beautiful. So on that day, Jesus te- taught and debated in the temple. Again, he spoke about end times. Uh, he talked about the future destruction of Jerusalem, the temple. So he was really warning them. He really wanted them to get a hold of this. He said that, uh, he said, and he went on about the, the, the real end times, now times. He said that in, in the, the times will come when Jerusalem will be surrounded by enemies again. And he spoke about how, you know, the armies of the world, all the world will come against Jerusalem again. So we know that this hasn't happened. But I do, I just, I tell you what I love reading. I love reading. I read a lot of commentators, Bible commentators, and I particularly like reading all the old commentators because their perspective is so different from ours. And in all of my reading and all the, whenever they talk about these prophecies and, and they're, trying to, they're trying to figure out when are they talking about, no, that almost none of them ever, ever could imagine that that's talking about the Jews back in Jerusalem. We now can see how easily it would be for a nation to invade Israel. Ha, hello, come in and fight against the Israelis. We see that. We see the hatred towards them. But uh, one of the guys, Paul, he said, he said, some think that this text, that according to this text, because it didn't make sense to the commentators in the 1700s and 1800s, they think, but there are no Jews in Jerusalem. The the Jews are gone. They're done. That's finished. He said, some think that there'll be a time when the Jews will repossess the city of Jerusalem. I doubt very much that it means this. I just, it thrills me so much. I'm so excited by that because these are the wisest Bible commentators. They spend years, no TV, they just spend all their time reading the Bible and they're just like, well, that, well that, that can't be right. How could it be possible for the Jewish people to live in Jerusalem again after 2,000 years? It's I I wish that we could get a hold of the miracle of the Jewish people being in Israel right now, being called Israel, a nation. When they were dispersed, way back Jesus wept about them, but the prophecy said, you're my people, I love you, you're going to come back. How? 2,000 years? Are you kidding me? People don't exist. A nation doesn't exist after 2,000 years. They're gone. It's never, nothing even close to that has happened before. So, you know, Jesus warned them, but... It's such a miracle that they're, they're there again. They're there again. And, they're, and there's so much more to be done. So, again, he's teaching. He taught about the ten versions. He taught about the talents. This is in his final week. He talked about the sheep and the goats. All of this was in his final week. Luke 21, 34, he said this, Be careful 
Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. Does anyone ever feel flat, heavy, over it? He said, yeah, be careful of that. He said, weighed down with what? With carousing, which is just, I, mean, we don't, I, don't, I don't carouse much. <laughs> I don't think, it was, I mean, I guess you, people carouse and get drunk when they're young. But these days we carouse with Netflix, don't we? Weighed down with too much Netflix or TV and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all of those who live on the face of the earth. Be always on the watch. Pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may stand before the Son of Man. So they saw this destruction of Jerusalem back in AD 70. And Jesus is saying, be careful. Be careful because this kind of destruction is coming on earth again. So let's not be caught up in our careers and our life and our world and I feel bad and well, I, can't, I can't afford this. And all. It's like, no, 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 Jesus is coming. Come on. Let's keep our hearts in the right place. So that's Tuesday. Jesus returned to Bethany and that, that night he was anointed uh, with oil by a woman with an alabaster flask. So this was probably the... Um, Probably the third time this had happened. It happened probably a week earlier and we know it happened at least two years before that. And each time they were criticised for this, the, the women. They were like, oh, what a waste of money. And he said this, Matthew 26, 10, leave her alone. Why do you trouble the woman? She's done a beautiful deed for me. A beautiful deed. Something beautiful. I love that. I love that she'd done something really good and noble and praiseworthy and beautiful and Jesus was happy. And it was extravagant. In various times they pointed out, again, this was a year's wages, this expensive, expensive oil. It reminds me of the story that you shared, babe, about, you know, this guy giving all his earnings to Jesus. Just give it all to Jesus. Just... I love... I kept thinking about this scripture. She's done a beautiful deed for me and I thought, oh, I want to do that. I love the thought that God says, that's a beautiful thing you've done for me. And it's not like, I don't know, it's not like an everyday good thing to me. It's not like, yeah, I go to church, you know, I do this, I do that. It's like something extravagant and beautiful and a bit different. I love that. Let's have that lavish demonstration of affection for Jesus. Just sometimes, sometimes. Do something out there for Jesus. That's what she did. What a great representation for us. Example. All right, Wednesday. Wednesday, there's not a lot said about Wednesday. We know that it, the Bible said that Jesus was teaching daily at the temple, so we assume he went back into Jerusalem. Because Bethany and Jerusalem, you understand, are very close. So it's just a little walk. So he went back to Jerusalem, spent the night in Bethany. Probably this day, the Sanhedrin was beginning to plan their, their murder of Jesus. So they are plant, they're thinking, we've got to get rid of him. How are we going to do this? So that's on the Wednesday. And now we get to Thursday, which is our final day, and we'll, we'll leave Good Friday till Good Friday. So Thursday, known as Maundy Thursday, Peter and John prepare the Passover meals. This is the Passover. So it's the Jewish Passover, which was, you remember, was celebrating that time in Egypt when the angel of death passed over the Jewish houses that had the blood on their door. So he passed over them because they were to be saved. And Jesus was going to die on Passover. Why is that? Because he was going to save us. 
the very same day. It's all worked out so perfectly by God. So he, went, he sent Peter and John to prepare the Passover meal again, and a home that they borrowed, someone's home. And he said this, Luke twenty two fifteen, with fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So he's really looking forward to this. It's like, great, finally, I can sit down with my beloved, my, my disciples, and we can eat together with some final lessons. One last time together. And one last time, really the final time of celebrating the, the Passover feast because from, from then on, it was fulfilled. It was not, they, they do, Jewish people still celebrate it now, but it's not the same because the Lamb of God has been slain. Now it's fulfilled. So he was fulfilling the Passover and it was kind of finishing in, in its symbolic form and he, he loved that he was a Jew, I'm sure. He loved the privilege of being a Jew. It's, it's a great privilege. At, the, at this final last supper, we know that Jesus washed his disciples' feet we know that he exposed Judas. So he said, one of, you's gonna, one of you's going to betray me. And Judas was like, you saying it's me? And he was like, yes, basically. I won't go into the details. But then Judas left. And I think that would have been nice, actually, for Jesus because he knew what, who Judas was. And I think it would have been nice for Judas to finally go. So he was just left with the 11 that were faithful to him. And at that point... He uh, instituted communion. So um, I'm going to actually get the musos if you can come up because we are going to take communion just as I come to an end. Just to, to remember and reflect on that very first communion. And we get to take communion on Palm Sunday the same as Jesus did. Before we take that, I'll just finish off the day so we get to the end of the day. Um, he, again, taught many things just around the table here. He taught about being the way, the truth, and the life. He taught about the promises of the Holy Spirit. The whole abide in the vine, John 15, was all in the Last Supper. I didn't realise that. He, um, they, meanwhile, argued about who was the greatest. They also did that at the Last Supper. Can you believe it? And when they'd finished that last supper, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed for them. And at that point, the soldiers came to arrest him. Judas had betrayed him. He told the soldiers, he told the Roman soldiers where Jesus was. And so they came to arrest him. Peter cut off the ear of, one, of the servant with his sword. Jesus said, don't do that, Peter. Judas betrayed Jesus by kissing him so that the soldiers would know this is the one, Judas. Judas. Jesus was taken to the high priest's house, Annas, by the soldiers, and there Peter denied Jesus. So it was a very dark, dark night on Thursday night. And that night was a long night. Because as we'll hear on Good Friday, I doubt very much there was any sleeping. It just, we don't know when all these events happened, but they would have been very, very late at night, probably 12, 1, 2 o'clock, some of these things happening. So it was a dark time and it was an incredible week. It had ups and downs and 
all for us, all because He loved us, all that final teaching and that final weeping and that final desire. He's, he's not backing off. He's not relaxing. He's not enjoying His final week. He's pressing in for us. He's pressing in for us. So I just want, um, yeah, let's hand out that communion now. Oh, you have. Wow. Efficient. I didn't even notice. <laughs> well done, guys. Thank you. And as we take communion, I just want us to look at one of the final teachings of Jesus that I've picked up here. You know, it's called, this Thursday was called Maundy Thursday. I'm like, what in the world does Maundy Thursday mean? And it comes from the Latin, mandatum novum do vobis, mandatum, which is where they get the, the term Maundy and it's, a new, that's the Latin for a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And when he prayed in the garden, he prayed that too, that they, we would be unified in that love, that we would be together in that love. But as we take and eat this right now and think about that Passover, Jesus said, I want you to love each other like I've loved you. I mean, even in that week, He shows extraordinary love, extraordinary care for everybody else except Himself. And we know that He was about to die. That's how much He loved. He loved us so much that His last week was totally dedicated to us, to Jerusalem, to the people. He loved us so much that He died for us. And His final word to the disciples, you love like this. You love like this. Be prepared to give your life for each other. How can we love each other more? And it's not a weak kind of, you can get to do whatever you want, love, because this was the love that, remember, that cleared out the temple as well. It was quite strong love sometimes, quite um, a brave love, a truthful love, not, not a weak love, a strong love, but very real and very beautiful. So let's take and eat together and let's think about Jesus loving us and let's make that commitment that we are going to love like Jesus loved. And while we take, why don't you sing? You are the Oh 
Jesus. I'm not asking if you come to church. You're obviously here. I'm asking if you have given your life to this Lord Jesus who died for you. Have you said to Him, you are my Lord and Saviour. You died for me to forgive me for my sins. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for those sins. Have you said, my life is yours. All that I am and all that I do and all that I have is yours because you are the Lord. Have you really given Him your life? I want you to put your hand on your heart right now and be sure that you're doing that this Easter. Don't wait any longer. Who knows what's in the future? Let us lay down our life. And maybe you've already laid down your life. Maybe you know you're saved, but maybe you're holding on to something, you know? Maybe you've got some parts of your world that really do not belong to Jesus, they belong to you. Let's just lay it down. Come on. He's coming again. He's coming soon, church. It's all going to finish soon. Lay your hands on your heart. I'm going to pray this over you. Father, for every honest, true heart before you right now, Lord God, I ask that you would touch their heart. Lord God, we acknowledge our sin. God, I acknowledge my sin. Say that to yourself. I ask you to be my Lord and my Saviour. I give you everything that I am. I give you my life completely. I lay down my life for you, Lord, because I know you love me and you have a better life for me. Thank you, Lord God, that you saved me. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord God that you died for me. I accept your death in my place for my sin. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are my Lord and my Saviour. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. Let's just sing that one more time, then we'll finish up. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve Let's stand and worship. Come on, let's stand and worship the Lord. Jesus, you are the Praise the Lord. 
Father, thank you for this beautiful service today. Thank you for your presence, Lord God. You are good. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.